The show that takes you home. The Homestretch with Sterling Holmes on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, and the ESPN Kansas City Facebook page. Welcome to the Home Stretch, ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, 1510.com, and Facebook Live, live in studio on a gorgeous, beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Dylan Michaels behind the glass will be joined by film analyst Daniel Harms in the second segment, right around 3.15, talking Combine, Chiefs, and a whole lot more. Before then, what a gorgeous day. I love this. 65 and sunny. Old boy went and hit golf balls. Sure, I have some work I could have gotten done. I'll get that done when it rains Spring's coming up. If I can hit golf balls in February, I'm doing it. I was all in. Also, I hate, of course, you hit great golf balls. The range session is just outstanding. And then you know, the second you step foot on the course, it's going to be an unmitigated disaster. Just a dumpster fire. So I can't wait. Got all my good balls out of the way today. All the bad ones coming out on Sunday. Dylan, how are you? What did you do today? Uh, just kind of did some clerical stuff and got ready for the rest of this week. Clerical really stuff. You sound it, it sounds like you're uh, behind the scenes, like a little, uh, you like a mobster. A mobster yes. would go, yeah, I just did some clerical work today. Yeah, some. Uh, Had to take care of some business. Concrete. <laughs> Yesterday you looked like you were. Uh, a shipyard. A, a shipyard, a, a shrimper. What do you call it? It's a, in deep water by the shipyards. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm getting a little nervous. Get a little scared. Don't note to self. You have nothing to be nervous about don't yet. Piss, yet. Don't piss off Dylan. No, just don't owe me money. I don't think I would ever owe you no, money. Yeah, you're good. That's what I'm saying. You'll be fine. I'd be scared. I would be scared if I owed you money. You're a gambler, too. Which means I am not the person that is collecting ever. <laughs> well, who knows? You might be collecting. Maybe. We don't know. I don't know. Make me nervous over there. Uh, some Chiefs news. Kansas City Chiefs promote David Girardi to quarterback's coach. That position is now filled. Both OC and QB coach filled from within with Eric Bieniemy. Going to Washington, Matt Nagy becoming the OC for Kansas City once again, and then David Girardi moving up and becoming the QB coach. Uh, Girardi was already present in the Chiefs organization as the assistant QB coach and passing game analyst. Uh, Good for him. So I want to point out this probably puts him on a fast track to an OC job in the future. Maybe not in Kansas City, but somewhere. We've seen some great QB coaches in OC for Kansas City in the past. Matt Kafka, Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy, obviously Eric Bienemy going to Washington. So this is now maybe a fast track for David Girardi. Uh, good for him. I like when you do it in-house. I don't know about you, Dylan. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I like teams that when things are going right, don't mess it up. 
if you think you have the guy in-house. It obviously has, in my opinion, an ability to, to have guys stick around longer than they, than they might. Obviously, Kafka left, right? We know that eventually Doug Peterson left, eventually Matt Nagy left. But when you have the opportunity and you've seen it in the past where you've seen guys get promoted in-house, I think it gives you a reason to say, maybe an extra year, maybe an extra two years. If you think you have a chance here in an organization that wins Super Bowls, that a lot of times give uh, opportunities to you to become an OC or a head coach elsewhere in the NFL, you might stick around and take that job of a QB coach here, whether you might have a better opportunity for more, more money or longevity somewhere else. I think it's important to note that this organization of the Kansas City Chiefs is very well run, well respected, and I think you've also seen reasons why guys like um, Matt Nagy comes back. You see why Matt Nagy, who was an OC here, had success, head coach. For I think Matt Nagy had success for the most part as a head coach, 34-31, and 31, one coach of the year. Obviously, the tail end did not go well. But when you see him get another opportunity here in Kansas City, it just shows you why this is a first-rate, first-class organization. Other news with Kansas City, Brett Veach sounds hopeful to reach long-term deal with Orlando Brown Jr. Brett Veach spoke from the 2023 NFL Combine to reporters about a number of topics, but one was about Orlando Brown Jr. What he said was, we went through this path last year. It's more beneficial for us to get something done long-term. That's why this season is so important for us. Really, this is the start. As you know, we'll have a lot of dialogue. The combine is great to come in and check out the new college talent. But a lot of time here is spent talking with the agents of our players, in quote, from Brett Veach. Uh, Went on to say later, unlike last year, we at least have a runway to work with. We've gotten to know his team a little bit better. We're excited to get that process started and hopefully figure something out. So we know about last year. Orlando Brown Jr. wanted a deal, wanted a long-term deal, wanted to become one of, if not the highest-paid left tackle in football. Well, didn't happen. He brought in a new agent right before. There was no real chance for the agent as well as the staff, Brett Veach, from the Chiefs to get some deal done. There wasn't enough time. There wasn't any familiarity. It was almost demands from Orlando Brown Jr. and the Chiefs saying, hey, we offered you a fair deal take it or leave it, he left it, played on the franchise tag. Now he could get franchise tag again. The single-season deal would be just under $20 million, which, quite frankly, is probably less than what he's going to get AAV on a long-term deal. Being frank, you're probably looking at a five-year, uh, I would say around $110 million would probably be about the fair rate on both sides. $22 million per season AAV. Uh, he's obviously going to want to have the majority of that guaranteed, maybe 70-plus mil. This is just me spitting off the top of my dome right now, so bear with me. But it feels like if you were going to throw out an average number where Orlando Brown Jr. might be happy, where the team might be happy, no one's really taking advantage of the other, around $22 million seems to be the rate, I would assume. The reason why the deal last year fell through with all the AAV, with all the uh, large numbers that were thrown out there, there wasn't the guarantees that Orlando Brown Jr. and his camp were wanting. That was the holdup. I feel like if I were Brett Veach, I wouldn't go over 22 mil per season. 
I just wouldn't. I think we saw Orlando Brown Jr. progress as this season went on. I think there's no denying that he is a integral part of the offensive line. He obviously proved you can win a Super Bowl with him at left tackle. But to pay him as an elite left tackle, or at least as a top three left tackle to me, doesn't seem to fit the bill. Now where this gets interesting, the Chiefs obviously drafting. uh, It's 31, correct, Dylan, because one team got their, their pick thrown out. Was it Miami or Tampa Bay on the tampering with Tom Brady? Could be mistaken here. I'll have to look back in the break. But besides the point, the Chiefs, they're drafting last in the NFL draft this year in the first round. The odds of getting a cornerstone left tackle are not high. We know this. It's not news. I'm not breaking anything crazy. As great as Brett Veach is, you can't just make a cornerstone left tackle appear out of nowhere. Orlando Brown Jr. is probably the best option for next season. He knows this. It was the Dolphins, by the way. It was the Dolphins? Okay. I remember something about this, so I'm glad I uh, I wasn't just having yeah, a dream. Spot on. Thank you. Hey, Dylan, you're spot on, pal. Dylan's rocking a great 1990s-esque ESPN. Something that... Uh, who used to say cool as the other side of the pillow? Ooh, I don't want to misquote a great man in Stuart Scott. Yes. But I know his was, uh, he had another one. I think it was, uh, what was it? Stuart Scott. Shibuya or something like that? Stuart that Scott. Oh, man. I loved Stuart Scott. That was besides the point. I don't know why we're going off, but I saw your sh- your your hoodie and made me think. Now, now I'm missing the old days of ESPN when you would wake up in the morning as a child, wait for top ten plays. You're supposed to be going to school, and you're like, no, Dad, hold on. I got to see the top ten plays. It's funny. When you get older, it doesn't have the same same appeal, maybe. The not top ten plays as well, those were always great. But going back to the Chiefs and the left tackle, Orlando Brown Jr. knows he's probably the best option for Kansas City as well as maybe the best option on the open market for left tackle. He holds the cards while Kansas City has the ability to tag him one more year. It's going to be a fun game to watch. Concessions will have to be made on both sides. And if it were me, my max deal five-year... 110 mil, that's where I stand. What do you think, Dylan? Is five-year 110 mil, is that enough? Just just right now on February 28th, end of February, would you make that deal for Orlando Brown Jr.? Five years how much? 110, so the AAV 22 mil. We're, we're not going to get into all the funny money. We're not going to get into uh, the voided years. We're going to try and make it as simple as possible. Five-year, 110, AAV 22 mil. Let me see Trent Williams here. So Trent Williams' annual average salary is $23 million. Would you agree that he's probably the best left tackle in football uh, agreed. right now? Agreed. So we're $1 million under average, basically? Hey, is Mahomes the best quarterback in the NFL? I agree. So this, this is where I'm going with this. Okay. Was he never going to leave San Francisco, or did we balk at that number? And now we're going to basically kind of have to pay, almost similarly overpay the level of tackle. 
Like, if you think that you are overpaying Trent Williams because of his age, you're about to overpay Orlando Brown sure. out of production at sure. that number. Sure. So you could have done $24 million and had the best left tackle in football, but instead, I don't really think he played that bad, but he's not the best. No, I, he probably played about uh, the 5 Where to 8 rank ring. Him? range uh, going into the year i said he's probably about eight to twelve okay i think as this season progressed and we saw what he did he, he I, I will admit this orlando brown jr the first what six or seven games of the year was i don't want to say a disaster mm-hmm. but he was below average he wasn't even average to start the season and I, I i was standing on that hill there was a certain game and it switched it looked like it clicked the offensive line in general. And the only bad game I could really remember was the Bengals game when Joe Tooney was out. That was the one game I was like, man, he, he was just getting beat, beat, and beat. You can maybe make the case for first half of Jacksonville in the playoffs, but I think he still had a overall great resume for about the second half of the season on. He probably played about the 5-8 to eight range, 5-7 to seven range, maybe you can make the case for top five as four, five, six, right around there. Because he really did a great job as the season went on. PFF even thought he did a great Take PFF with a grain of salt. You know, you know how we are here in Kansas City, especially when it comes to quarterback rankings. But I think outside of quarterback, and even if you look at quarterback, Mahomes, his PFF rankings in totality were great. If you don't use the PFF numbers as end-all, be-all, but use them as a jumping-off point, even PFF agreed Orlando Jr. really had a nice year as the season went on. I don't think $22 is out of line for him. I think you're you're getting towards the upper echelon of left tackle pay. I think me personally, that's my number where I probably draw the line. But again, it comes down to if you have money, Mahomes' contract is team-friendly. Uh, relatively speaking, Travis Kelsey's contract is team-friendly. You're not paying a wide receiver one. You have so much... Um, production from rookies and young players in their own right, you have that money there. You never want to get stuck into overpaying for players, but at some point there is a line where you go, we need a left tackle. We know what we have in him. Can we afford to let him walk and go with a rookie? Can we afford to let him walk and have a rookie who's going to be either back in first rounder or a second rounder uh, learn on the fly? You have a half-billion-dollar investment in your quarterback. We know what happened to the Mahomes has time. He doesn't need elite wide receivers. He needs an elite offensive line. I'm intrigued by this. You should be intrigued by this. Dylan, he might be intrigued by this. Either way, this is one of the storylines to watch as the offseason unfolds. Combine really is a time where you start getting into this, start talking about this. But since the Combine is going on, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll be joined by Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football, right after this. Welcome back to the home stretch, ESPN Kansas City. Joined now by Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at nharmsway19. Daniel, how are you? Oh, it's uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. We're getting a little overwhelmed at times with the draft content. There's clips dropping every single day on my on my account, and just trying to keep up with all the draft prospects can get a little overwhelming at this time of year. But I'm doing good otherwise. Well, let's start there. 
Okay, let's start with with the combine and some draft uh, prospects you are high on. Who really stands out early on for you? And, and let's say this way: let's start with, with with players that the Chiefs could realistically land. Okay, we we know Bryce yeah. Young's a great talent. Sorry, not coming to Kansas City. Let's let's move on from him. But as far as realistic targets for Kansas City, guys that could be good fits in their scheme, who has stood out? So you you guys know that I believe for the most part, if you follow me on Twitter, you follow the RGR channel, you can know that I'm I've been pretty steadfast, especially the last couple of years, that defensive end is going to continue to be someplace they need to address. There is a defensive end out of Auburn, his name's Derek Hall, ever since I started the process I have been extremely high on the player himself because I do think that there's more talent there than what he was able what he was doing at Auburn. But you see on tape the first step explosion. He's extremely strong. He's long. He has thirty four inch plus arms and he plays that Steve Spagnola style of defense where he takes playing the run personally. It is a job for him to demolish whoever is up on the opposite side of him and stop the run. That's what I like to see from a defensive end first. And then you have the pass rush acumen. He doesn't necessarily have all of the inside counters you want to see, but the tools are there. He has that short area quickness, the burst off the edge, and the long arm. <laughs> he can really bully tackles at the point of attack and allow himself you know, with that first step to then learn his counters to the inside. If he could get a little bit more of the Euro step or the stab to the outside and then come back across the face of a tackle, we're talking some real, real upside. And specifically for trying to pair a young defensive end with George Karloff, this is going to be on the opposite side starting going forward. You want somebody who does have a little bit more speed off the edge. He's not a speed rusher by any stretch in terms of the B.J. Ojolari's of the draft, who is basically a speed rush only kind of, of guy. But it, he does bring a lot of that first step quickness that you like to see with the strength combination as well. So I, I like to see that. I'm very, very high on him specifically for the fit in Kansas City's defense. Would he be more of a first-round target, second-round target? The one I'm on right now, NFLDraftBuzz.com, mm-hmm. they have him listed as late second round. Is that potential for Kansas City there, or would they have to uh, move up in the second round into first if he moves up in the in the combine? Where do you see him being drafted? I think the Chiefs would have to take him at 31. He's not going to last okay. to the end of the second round. I also believe, based off of what he did at the Senior Bowl, what he's going to do with the Combine this week, his draft stock will get bumped up. And I've seen multiple um, national scouts, the guys who do their mock drafts, like on NFL Network, have him mocked to the Chiefs at 31. And like I said, I've been high on him since before the season started. So I think that that's the spot the Chiefs would have to draft him if that if they're, that's, that's their goal is to draft a guy like Derek Hall. Is there any wide receiver that you've been looking at that you've been high on? Because we know Chiefs fans, we we like this we like the sexy toy, right? We we like Dean's yeah. great. Dean's great. Offensive line, that's great. But but what can we give Patrick Mahomes weapon wise to take this offense to the next level? Obviously, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl without having Tyree Killer or having that legitimate elite wide receiver one. But 
Tony, he's going to be here. Sky Moore, rookie last year, he's going to be be here with a larger workload. But the unknowns are Juju Smith-Schuster, McCall Hardman, Justin Watson, uh, even potential for MVS, although I do personally believe MVS will be back. I don't think they're going to get out of that contract. But as far as a wide receiver the Chiefs are could be looking at, anyone that stands out? Yeah, if the if the goal for the Chiefs is to bring a large portion of the wide receiver core back, Juju and MVS with Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony, there is a guy that I'm eyeing right now in the second round who could really help his draft stock this week. Uh, Cedric Tillman, wide receiver out of Tennessee. A lot of people look at Jalen Hyatt, you know, the speed demon who's apparently going to go in the top twenty of the draft. Be be my guest. I'll take the other guy in the second round, and I do believe that his draft stock is going to bump up. So there could be, could become a point where they might have to trade up in the second round to get him. But you know, we're talking about a six three receiver who is not just a ball winner. He has speed. If you go watch him in 2021 before he had his ankle injury last year, he put up like 300 plus yards in Alabama and Georgia combined and two touchdowns. Like he was just all over the field against these guys, and it wasn't just. Like I said, ball winning. He has juice. He has short area quickness. He's a better route runner for a lot of them and a lot of guys his size at 6'3". He has that hip sink and the ankle flexion that you want to see when he's breaking down to come back to the football. Really nice hands. And then I believe, from what I've seen, he has some yak ability as well with all of those things, considering if he gets back to health, obviously the medicals this week will be um, interesting for him. But if he's fully healthy for this combine, I believe he's going to have a very – impressive day we're talking i think he could run in the four fours which is really exceptional for a guy his size again and when you have that length the combination of size and speed that is appealing to an offense that uh, if we're i mean juju's not like the biggest guy in the world mvs six four he doesn't have that short area quickness and you have tony and sky Moore, who are both you know six foot under and tillman would bring a presence to Kansas City to play that X role, but you can also move him around in the slot in the Z, and you can have that ability kind of waiting in the wings for if they decide after next year to move on from Marquez Valdez scanning because, again, he does have that deep speed, and you also can move him all around the field with that size. So I really like Cedric Tobin out of Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I don't personally think they should take a wide receiver in the first round, but if Josh Downs from North Carolina is sitting there at 31, I'll be so tempted. But, again, we're talking about a shorter guy, a sub six foot, but he's he's so electric, and I love the way that he moves. And it's one of those things you, you don't really teach. He has a an understanding of just where to be on the field. He's always getting open, whether it's man, whether it's zone, manipulation tactics in the stem, all the way through to the top of his route. He can move corners with his head fakes and with his hands. He uses them really well against press. And not just that, he's a ball winner. He plays much bigger than he is for a, probably a 5'10-plus guy, probably going to measure in between 5'11 and 5'10. He has really nice extension and ball-tracking ability down the field. I just I love his all-around game, and I'm, like I said, I'm pretty steadfast and not taking wide receiver in the first round, but he'd be so tempting for me because I, I love the talent I see on the film. Before we talk more about the combine, I want to bring up Justin Ross. A guy, mm-hmm. you know, brought in last year to Kansas City. Obviously, the injury concerns, those are uh, uh, paramount. But he's 6'4". The talent was undeniable before those injuries. I know a lot of fans are very high on Justin Ross. Every time we talk about the wide receivers, I, you, you always get a comment or two saying, don't forget about Justin Ross. 
What do you expect from him? Do you expect him to be a contributor? Do you expect him to be on the roster next year? Do you expect him to uh, just be a flyer? Or, or where do you stand with Justin Ross? I mean, right now I can't expect anything. I don't, and that's not any disrespect to Justin Ross or people that want that hope he does. I hope he does well too. But the, the fact of the matter is that he was an undrafted free agent for a reason. He was. The medicals are, are a real problem, and throughout this process, we, we hear people talk about you know injuries and medical problems. The Chiefs were one of the only teams that were able to clear Trey Smith in terms of drafting him because of his medicals, and obviously he's been fine in the NFL. You see how that worked out. So the Chiefs have taken that on. He was at OTAs last year, and then he shows up in a boot, hasn't done anything. We don't have an update on him. Um, I want him to get healthy because before the injuries, again, he was a pretty pretty good receiver at Clemson. Justin Ross was probably on track to be a top, or, you know, a first-round type of talent. And then, you know, he came back the last season at Clemson. He just wasn't the same player. He didn't have that explosive ability. He wasn't able to really break down and get in out of his routes as cleanly as he did before. And that speed, it just looked like it was zapped and gone. So I don't have any any expectations for him this season if he's healthy i'd like to see him you know at otas at training camp if he's just working back through that kind of tells you where he's at but i don't i try not to put expectations on a guy that's trying to get healthy and until we know more i i just it's more of a flyer like i've seen a lot of questions about are both ross and ross going to make the roster are they going to be able to, I, I don't i don't think either of them at this point right now will be on the team next year yeah in terms of active roster more of a practice squad type of players yeah i, I would actually at least as we stand right now again it's it's early february 28th yeah but as it stands <laughs> on the 28th of february i would have to agree with you uh daniel harms film analyst for rgr football joining us right here quick question for you how much emphasis do you put on the conference guys playing just because uh, again small sample size but you just gave me derek hall De- derek hall auburn mm-hmm. cedric tillman tennessee is there any emphasis for you on let's say the sec versus the big 10 or big 12 or is that just these are certain guys that you have certain feelings for or do you think the sec the players sometimes they are more nfl ready than others yeah i like to do i like to scout the player first i don't i don't care about where they're from what they do i want to see what they do and then say i'm trying to decide where I should put them in a tier or in a ranking, I will then think about the conference they play in. If I have guys really, really close, I use it more of a tiebreaker saying, well, he was able to create separation more consistently against typically better corners if they're out of the SEC, if they're a wide receiver playing. Like Josh Downs, for example, ACC playing in, at North Carolina. I, I love his talent. Getting open against man coverage against ACC defenses, I would – venture a guess to say is, is a little bit easier on average than it is getting open against SEC uh, corners at, on average. So that's more of what I try and do. I try not to let you be playing for the SEC, the Big Ten, uh, cloud how I see a prospect. If their talent shows up, it's continuous. They know how to manipulate based on specifically if we're looking like a wide receiver, if they know how to manipulate a corner for for vice versa using a corner if they know how to keep their hips in front of them and not get fooled into one way or the other if they have really good recovery athleticism so if they do get their hips moved to the outside they can break back bring them to the inside and keep running all that stuff translates to the nfl so i want to see how that works 
and then again use it more of a tiebreaker because they're able to consistently do it against better competition. Uh, I want to bring up something from the combine that was spoken by Titans GM on his philosophy Mm -hmm. for team building. He said, (laughs) it's cute and sexy to play Golden State Warriors football in September and October when the weather is good. But the teams that play in January play tough defense and run the football, end quote. And I just have to laugh. I mean, (laughs) what? Like, the Golden State Warriors, who have won, what's that, three or four championships in 2015? Mm -hmm. The team in the NFL, who, not known for their defense, tough defense, or uh, running the football, (laughs) the Kansas City Chiefs, who have been to five, hosted five straight AFC championships. I just don't understand this. I, I, I don't get where this, you have to do this in January. You just have to. No, you don't. I, that's what I love about Kansas City, and, and this kind of is going on a tangent, but something I want to bring up, <laughs> how good Andy Reid, Brett Veach, and the Chiefs organization is in adapting, transforming, and staying one step ahead. You don't use these antiquated or outdated philosophies and say this is the one way you have to build a football team. Because there's more multiple ways. You can still win playing tough defense. You can still win running the football. But it's going to be tough when you're going up against an offense like the Kansas City Chiefs possess. But I just have to point out, how impressive is the Chiefs front office, Andy Reid and Veach, adapting, transforming, and frankly being the cutting edge of of these offensive philosophies? Yeah, it's the the whole vision. It really feels like Andy Reid's always been a little more, obviously, towards throwing the football, and maybe he was a bit ahead of his time. Obviously, he went to a Super Bowl with the Eagles, got to multiple NFC Championship games, was able to have success. Didn't crack all the way through there. Obviously, comes into Kansas City here and does revolutionize the entire organization and changes how they see football. They were a, there was a running back factory, you know, Priest Holmes. It goes back before then, you know, uh, just there's a ton of running backs that played in Kansas City that were great, great running backs. And, you know, Jamal Charles was on the beginning of his path with Andy Reid and then got hurt. But after, you know, after Jamal Charles, Andy Reid really showed a lot of people how using multiple different running backs and having, you don't necessarily have to have the big flashy running backs and the big flashy run game. If you're efficient and you're effective and you can throw the football when you want to, it does allow you to do different things with your offense. And now we've seen the last two years, the change in the dynamic of the Chiefs offense, just from a throwing perspective, you know, last year with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, it was, we're going to throw it to them and they're going to basically carry our offense this year. We see 13, 12 personnel really be the most efficient form of the Chiefs offense. And then in the Super Bowl, they were like, okay, well, we have all of this ability to throw the football when we want to. We can also run the ball. Like It's not like, it's not like they, they couldn't ever do it. And Isaiah Pacheco helped that. The offensive line helped that. But this idea, I, I personally believe he's playing more towards the Tennessee fan base with that. They are very much a run-the-ball, physical offensive line, boot off a play action, throw the ball down the field kind of an offense. And they have been with Brian Tannehill and Derrick Henry. It feels like that's what he's playing more towards is trying to really help his fans be comfortable with what he wants to do. But at the end of the day, it's about winning, right? 
And if you're going to use the Golden State Warriors as the what you're holding this up to, like it doesn't make any sense. First of all, basketball is played inside. Okay, like okay, you can't really translate that to January, especially when the Chiefs have gone to three Super Bowls in the last five years. They've won two of them, and and then when everyone talks about how Patrick Mahomes is this generation's NFL version of Steph Curry, and then try and talk about running the football. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's a very weird analogy that he tries to do. I guess I think he's trying to play towards his fan base. But at the end of the day, Andy Reid in the front office with Brett Veach and everybody just revolutionizing how football is played in Kansas City and in today's day in the NFL, I mean – you can thank Patrick Mahomes a lot for that too, because you know Andy Reid was successful before, but he was more successful now that he has the best quarterback on the, on planet Earth, and they just they play off each other so well. They know each other's strengths. They they're really really good together, and Andy's having a lot of fun. I think you can see that on the field. So it's it's a great time to be in this day and age for Chiefs fans, but also getting to see how they are changing. A hopefully going to continue to change the way people view January football. Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football, joining us right here. You want to know how I know the Chiefs have a great team? Not just the fact they won the Super Bowl, but the fact that the biggest, most asked question I've been having is, who will the Chiefs' backup quarterback be next year? Let that sink in. <laughs> You're not talking about who's a quarterback. Who all should they draft? Should they bring in DeAndre Hopkins? Do they need to get a legitimate, you know, top-edge guy alongside Chris Jones and Karloftis? No, 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 no. It's been, who will the Chiefs' backup quarterback be? And at some point, you just sit back and say, damn, this is a good time to be a Chiefs fan. Absolutely. You've seen a ton of weird talk about the backup situation. And whether it's going to be the draft or whether it's going to be Carson Wentz. (laughs) Please no. No. As soon as he was released, I've seen so many people, he should go to Kansas City. That's the dream spot to put a quarterback with talent. But come on now. Come on. What have we seen from Carson Wentz over the last two years? A bunch of injury-prone guy who doesn't really know what to do with the football anymore. Like, he, ever since he got hurt in Philadelphia, it's really derailed his career. So I understand wanting to take a guy who had a ton of talent in Philadelphia and bring him into a backup role, but you can't really do that here. You need somebody that Andy Reid trusts, and that's what it is. But, yes, you're absolutely right. Being able to be in this situation right now, winning a Super Bowl a few weeks ago, and then you're able to just kind of sit back and wait and see what happens at backup because Chad Henney retires. Come on now. Chad Henney was – uh, I, I'm telling you, from his playoff runs, the things that he did in the postseason, I, I'm willing to say that he should – it's very, very close. Have the guy's number retired for the stuff that he was able to do in Kansas City in the postseason. Just, It's incredible that we're talking about that being a huge story headline right now with who's going to be back, backing up Patrick Mahomes. It's, it's great, man. It's great. Who else are you looking at in the combine? Is there a certain position that you think the Chiefs need some more young talent? Uh, for me, I might go out on a limb and say safety. Don't know what's going to happen with Juan Thornhill or Dion Bush. Uh, the Chiefs love using three safety looks to begin with. And if you don't bring back Thornhill or Dion Bush, obviously you have Brian Cook and, and um, Justin mm-hmm. Reed. Uh, but but where, where are you looking at as far as where the Chiefs uh, should have an emphasis on in the draft? 
know, there's two there's two positions outside of wide receiver on the offensive side. You're looking at tackle. <clears throat> then on the defensive side, I think defensive tackle and safety are going to be pretty important as well. Um, I just released my top five defensive tackles in this draft class on NFL33.com. Obviously, Jalen Carter is out of the question for the Chiefs, unless they're going to trade up to like four, which is going to happen. Um, but that, that guy is incredible. But they, they're going to need I don't think Derek Nye is going to be back. Um, I do believe that Colin Saunders will be back. I think that's kind of been where the, the trend is going. He played well last year, played well in the Super Bowl by all accounts, and really earned himself a contract here. But they do kind of need a, deep, a guy to back up Chris Jones a little bit but also somebody that can play a little bit on the inside on those rundowns and not just Colin Saunders. They'd like to have those rotations in there too. Um, Brandon Williams probably doesn't come back. So they're looking at a, like almost a, a completely different interior defensive line outside of two guys next year. And there's, you know, in terms of draft capital, I don't think they should be looking for one in the first round, but in the second round, there's going to be, some guys that I like, like I said, my top five list just released, where I think a guy like Byron Young out of Alabama brings some nice inside versatility from a pass rush standpoint, a quickness standpoint, but also somebody who holds up against the run. He was almost impossible to block one-on-one with everybody that I watched him with. Double teams were a different story. It's not easy to beat double teams, especially for um, defensive tackles that look like defensive ends playing at the one tech at at three tech all the time. So he was really, really good run defender from the one on one perspective. He has quick change of direction skills, that length. Again, he looks like a defensive end three, nearly 300 pounds and he's chiseled. Like the guy's really, really big. So I like what he offers from a run defensive uh, standpoint, but also has hand usage, the quick twitch inside to be able to learn to pass rush. And then, so, yeah, I like what he brings. And then I'll, I think that, uh, like I said, with tackle, there's a guy out of Oklahoma, uh, offensive tackle, Anton Harrison, that I'm pretty big on at the end of the first round uh, for Kansas City. Natural pass blocker. They do a really good job of producing tackles and offensive linemen in Oklahoma. Just seems to be something in the water over there. Just ask Creed what they, what they do um, outside of just having continuously good pass blockers. But he's a really nice addition a really good athlete you can get him on on out in space and move a um, little bit up and down in the run game but again i think that can be taught especially if they're going to bring orlando brown back for a year you can let him sit and then kind of uh, let let that figure itself out do, do you think orlando brown jr would play on the franchise tag one more year we talked about it a little bit in the first segment dylan and myself uh, it's obviously an interesting situation for the Chiefs to be in. Uh, it behooves them almost more than anything to use the franchise tag again. That one year is going to be just under or just around $20 million, which realistically is probably less than he'd get AAV on a long-term deal. Um, do you think he would play again on a franchise tag? Whew. I don't know. Um, does he have much of a choice? I, I don't know if he really does, to be completely honest with you, but that's also why you draft a tackle in the first round, at least in my opinion. I don't know if Harrison's ready to play day one right now or if somebody else that they would draft to be ready to play at day one, but you also show him, like, we are ready to move on. We are going to apply the tag, which I also think they should do myself. So you get a year, let yourself draft and develop a tackle, whoever it's going to be, and then say, look, go play to the best of your ability this year, 
get paid. All right. Um, that's, we'll see if he would play on it, but I think it's in the best interest of, you know, the Chiefs to look at a long-term deal for him right now, see what he wants. If he's changed his tune at all, I would imagine that's why we haven't seen the tag yet because they're still trying to figure out what he wants. But at the end of the day, my, my opinion is that it's best for him to play. If he gets tagged again by the Chiefs to play on the tag, because you're going to have to show everybody, I guess once again, that if the Chiefs don't believe in you enough to give you top-level market for what you're asking and for you know what they believe your, your talent level is, that you're gonna there's going to be questions raised everywhere else as well. But I'm not inside his head. I'm not with you know, I, don't, I don't know what they're talking about in the front office. But personally, myself, I think it would make more sense to try and continue to improve yourself in the, the view of the league and the Chiefs to get the most money possible. Yeah. Daniel Harms, film analyst, RGR football, joining us right here, home stretch ESPN, Kansas City. Dylan? Daniel, I am looking for edge rushers, and I know that we're not going to get up high enough to get, obviously, Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson, unless we trade and they fall. Yeah. You know, crazier things have happened. I'm going to give you three or four, actually, guys, and you tell me which ones are your, you know, kind of rank them if you can, if you've looked into these. They're my favorites. I like the, I like Felix, Isaiah Foskey, Lucas Van Ness, and then Will McDonald out of Iowa State. I think they're all long enough, fast enough, and they all hit very hard and have played against good competition. I was wondering what your thoughts on those four guys as far as, like, maybe the best guys in this class that aren't available in the top 15. All right. So I've looked at everyone except for Van Ness. I don't have any Iowa tape. I've just seen clips there and there. Um, But what I've gathered from him is that he's more of a George Karloftis type maybe a bit stronger, um, probably a bit more athletic overall, but he also played at Iowa where they played a lot of their um, veteran guys over him this past year. He didn't get a ton of, of work out there. So if we're looking at guys that I think Joe Cullen would also like, I think that's what we can start to at least tamper with the ideas because previously we knew who they were going to take, right? We knew it was going to be George Karloftis, the second um, – it, it was on the board for them. Like, we knew that was going to happen because he was a George Carl. He was a, a C-Signal guy. Excuse me. But I think based off of what we've seen from Joe Cullen, how the defensive line kind of credits him a lot with what they did, you have at least a little bit more leeway in your players. So McDonald is probably more of an outside linebacker type. In my opinion, I don't think he's a great run defender by any stretch. Probably going to play around 240 pounds to keep himself able to play that speed on the edge. I like Felix, actually. I went back to 2021, and he looked much more impressive than he did in 2022. I think he was, there's rumor he was playing through injury all year, um, something like that, rotator cuff or something with his arm. <clears throat> and he just didn't look as effective, and he went back to watch 2021. And I'm like, okay, this guy has beat off the edge he's got some athletic ability but he's also really strong and has that length um and then we get to Foskey who I believe Notre Dame just royally screwed up because this guy is prototypically what you want from a defensive end but they have him playing in coverage they have him playing as a linebacker they have him playing defensive tackle they move him all over the place and they didn't let him 
learn and grow and adapt as an edge rusher, which he always was going to be with his body type in, in the NFL. So I think that he has the most potential out of those four guys. Agreed. Uh, but in terms of who – I'm sorry? No, I was saying I agree wholeheartedly okay. with that. And I, actually I was going to say those are kind of the people Veach likes. He like, it seems like he likes to target those guys that are playing out of position but excelling still because then he thinks, yeah. oh, I can just throw them at end all the time because we're not – I don't want to say that because Spags drops them back <laughs> in the coverage all the time, <laughs> but maybe not as much. Sorry, my daughter's talking to me, so I'm trying Avery, to keep my, my ideas straight. Did you call me? Tell, um, tell, tell, <laughs> yeah, hey, tell, tell Avery she's okay. Tell her she can she can come on the show anytime she'd like, Daniel. Absolutely. Yeah, she's, she's good. She just wanted to know if she could play with the ball. I'm like, whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if I were to rank them from what I've seen, um, for specifically for fit, you're trying to appease everybody. I think Foskey makes um, Dee Spagnolo. Everybody, Brett Veach, as well as Cullen, with a guy who's really, really raw that you can mold a little bit. I think he makes the most sense. I would put – I think I would put Van Ness right behind him in terms of a stylistic fit. Um, I personally would put Felix above Van Ness, but like I said, I haven't seen the, the tape in myself. Um, but based off of everything that I have seen body type-wise, style-wise – Without delving into the tape, I would have him right there behind him, and then Felix, and then Will McDonald, because again, I think he's more of an outside linebacker in a three-four defense. Yeah, he's kind of like a um, oh my god, uh, what was that guy for the Patriots that they traded to the Lions, and then he came back to the Patriots. It was like a oh, uh, uh, they had two guys. There's a linebacker, Jamie Collins. There's one, yeah, Jamie Collins. That kind of was what I thought Will McDonald might be. But my last question, real quick one: Is there any guys in the edge class that? I didn't name that you like more than those guys or maybe more than a couple guys in that list? Um, I don't think so. I think you hit – there's a lot of talk about Keon White, Georgia Tech defensive end. He's also a Steve Spagnuolo fit. The problem for me is that he's 25 years old and he's going to be a rookie. He turned down going to the, to the, to the uh, Senior Bowl, I think. And uh, everyone talks about him being this really, really great athlete. Uh, I didn't see it on tape. Uh, he did. He also played a lot of three tech and five tech in in college. He was a lot of being asked to play defensive tackle as a run defender first, which really wore him out to play defensive end on the snaps that he got. So it, it was tough for me to to rank him in terms of being like a first round pick, which I've seen a lot of. Uh, but he's the only name right now off the top of my head that I've seen thrown into the first round being talked about that would also fit a Steve Spagnuolo uh, body type. I think you nailed it for the most part. Uh, before you get out of here, Daniel, are you ready to get your ass kicked in uh, in Top Golf on Saturday? Because I went oh. to the range today, pal. I I am not going to let you beat me. I won't. I won't beat you. I can promise you that. <laughs> but, uh, this is more about me having a few drinks. And hitting some balls and anything. Because I'll tell you what, if there's one thing I cannot do, it is hit a ball straight off of a tee, no matter what I do. Uh, dude, see, see, this is what he does, Dylan. I can guarantee you. I've never golfed with him, but I'm, I'm just, I'm picking right. He's going to butter me up, say, oh, you're going to beat me. You're, you're going to, you're going to wax me. And next thing you know, I'm getting hustled by him. 
I'm going to get hustled no, by uh, him. This is one thing. You can teach me a few things. I know you golf all the time, and I'm trying to get better at golf. So this is really me trying to, to learn more about ah, it. Ah, it's you. a free lesson, huh? Hey, no lessons are free, <laughs> Daniel. It comes with a price of three beers, okay? There we go. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's like the golf tip from Curb. Beer if minimum. you've seen Curb, your enthusiasm, he's trying to get the golf tip the whole episode. That's yeah. what Daniel's trying to do. He's are you coming to too, Dylan? You swinging um, through? If I'm invited, That's I will shoot 120. Yeah, seriously, Daniel. I'll shoot 120 for anyone. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be out there. Yeah, come on. All right. So it sounds yeah, like Dylan on, might man. be in too, Daniel. Okay. We'll talk yeah. more. I, I'm sure oh. it's riveting conversation for folks listening. They're like, hey, thanks for talking <laughs> about the combine. We don't give a hoot about your top golf outing. All right. I get it. I'm sorry. But for, for us, it's fun. Daniel, this is always fun. Daniel Harms, film analyst, RGR football, and fantasy football astronauts. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at inharmsway19. If you want to follow him, now is the time because, again, during the Combine, he'll go put out some great short clips on Twitter. Again, that's how I originally found Daniel multi-year ago now. But, Daniel, you're the man. Until next time, we appreciate it. Always, man. Impressive promise you there's tons and tons of draft clips already on my twitter so <laughs> go check them out you guys won't be disappointed take a quick break come back home stretch here espn kansas city welcome back to the home stretch uh we had a little fun conversation in the break dylan and myself do you bring your own golf clubs to top golf now, here's what I have to say about this. I'm left-handed. Oh, this makes okay. it very difficult. I won't rip on anyone who brings their own clubs to talk Fair golf. Enough. I get it, especially when it's cold. If you're trying to work on your game, this is your range session. Okay. But if you're going like a group of friends and it's very laid back and you bring your own clubs to top golf, I'm, I'm 100% gonna, agree. We're on the same page. Okay. I See, didn't even know you were a lefty. So I'm now, a, now, yeah. As a lefty, it's so hard. I get then like, so we have my buddy's th- a lefty. We so have three clubs for you to use, and none of them are going to be your size. Like they're for like we have a woman's driver, a kid's pitching wedge, and maybe a five iron. It's hard for me, and then yeah. I'm the guy who's looking like a buffoon bringing my own clubs. Okay, so it's okay, but I will probably judge. I judge myself. Especially because I use a glove. This is the home stretch. ESPN Kansas City back live in studio tomorrow at 3 to 4 p.m. We'll be joined by David Lesky talking Royals. Until then, we are out. And I'm